everyone, and welcome to our first podcast of Promoting Success and Career Development Amongst Junior Faculty. My name is Jaspreet Loyal, and I'm an assistant professor in the section of General Pediatrics at the Yale School of Medicine. And I'm Anthony Porto, an associate professor in the section of Pediatric Gastroenterology at the Yale School of Medicine. Both Jaspreet and I direct the Junior Faculty Development Workshop. Our guests today are Dr. Clifford Bogue, Chair and Professor of Pediatrics, and Dr. Andrea Asnes, an Associate Professor in the Section of Child Abuse. She's also the Program Director of the Yale Pediatric Residency Program. Today's topic is networking and making the most of national conferences. At the end of this podcast, we hope participants will be able to, one, apply strategies discussed to begin to establish a local, regional, and national network. Two, identify opportunities for involvement at national conferences in pediatrics, and three, develop a plan to maximize networking opportunities at national or regional conferences. First, I would like to thank both of you for joining us. Um, Cliff, I'll start with you. Reflecting back to your years as a junior faculty, how did you begin to establish, we talk about the network, your national network, regional, and local networks? Uh, Thanks for the opportunity. you know, I began uh, by sending my research uh, that I did both as a fellow and as a junior faculty member to what back then was the SPR Research uh, Conference, uh, the national conference that then eventually became the Pediatric Academic Society's Conference. Uh, and so that began where I, that was my meeting uh, for the very beginning of my career. Uh, and I really, uh, found that the interactions, the opportunity to meet uh, faculty from all over um, uh, the country and even uh, nor- throughout North America and, and, nas- and internationally uh, was, a great op- was a great opportunity. Um, so initially I was just going and presenting at the meetings and then um, my section chief encouraged me to um, get more involved with the Society for Pediatric Research. So. First, I joined uh, and became a, a dues-paying member, uh, and, and then I began to look for opportunities to volunteer. Um, and uh, initially, it didn't; it wasn't clear what opportunities there were. So I would just start talking to people. I would talk to people that I knew were on the council. I would talk to people that I knew had been involved with the SPR for quite a while, and uh, I uh, started volunteering uh, for whatever opportunities might come along to get involved. Um, And early on, I um, served as a member of the program committee of the Pediatric Academic Society's meeting and was able to network there and meet a whole host of people uh, involved in um, putting the program together uh, for the meeting and picking the science, et cetera. Uh, And uh, then I uh, enjoyed it so much, I ran for one of the council positions to be on the council of the SPR uh, and was vote and was elected. So I served on the council and being on the council, I uh, met more great people and great opportunities. Um, and um, then sometime after that, uh, I became the uh, SPR's representative to the International Pediatric Research Foundation. Uh, again, just through getting to know people and people seeing uh, that I was a hard worker and I was effective, um, and uh, that foundation actually owns the journal Pediatric Research, and so I got involved in 
in uh, what it means to run a research journal. And then uh, when there was an opening for the chair of the program committee of the PAS, uh, I uh, put in uh, an application and was selected to be the, uh, the program chair. So I've had many, many years of involvement with the PAS, various committees, reviewing abstracts. I've been on some of the award committees. And really, it all came about just by making myself available, taking advantage of opportunities, volunteering, and then following through uh, on those opportunities to show that um, uh, there was more that I could do. So uh, for me, that has been uh, tremendous. It turns out that as I um, advanced in my science and I got more and more specialized, that actually the PAS meeting was not the best meeting for my science. Um, which was fine because it was still a great meeting for being a part of the community, learning, seeing people, networking, uh, meeting senior faculty, getting in, getting invitations to go speak at other places because people heard my talks. Um, but I would then I then eventually picked other smaller meetings that were much more focused on my area of research, and those were the ones where I went for really cutting edge scientific input. But I always have kept going to the PAS mainly because of the uh, the breadth of it and the opportunity uh, to learn a lot of different things uh, scientifically and also to interact with both faculty younger than myself and more senior faculty. Great. It sounds like really one thing led to another over all that time. Exactly. I mean, there's no magic formula. It was really... Um, making my, you know, saying I was interested, putting myself out to do try some things, um, not always getting selected for things that I tried, but not you know letting that deter me. And I think when people see someone who's persistently interested and wants to better the society, then they're going to give them opportunities. Great, that's awesome. Thank you, Andy. What was your experience like? Um, similar, I would say. I think that some of those bigger meetings are hard when you first get there to try to know where to go and whom to meet. I think it's good to arm yourself as a junior faculty member going to your first big national meeting with a little information from a local expert, like a senior faculty member in your area of expertise or your section chief, to try to find out where, especially at a meeting like PAS, where there are so many choices and you can spend a lot of time feeling like maybe you should have gone to that other thing you looked at in the morning when you chose to go to this workshop rather than that one. Um, I would echo Cliff's excellent points about volunteering. I think in our world we tend to talk about protecting yourself and making sure that you don't give away too much of yourself. This is a real exception to that, I think, that um, the point of getting involved and seeking out opportunities to serve um, in these national organizations is where it turned around for me as well. Um, sometimes you do have to do, you often have to do a good bit of work for it. It tends to be satisfying work, but to join a committee or a task force and get involved in something that interests you and work for the meeting's outcome, I think your, your point about um, abstract review and program committee work is a really good one because there's always a need for that, for people to give up their time to review, to peer review other work. Um, that that's a way in to be recognized for your abilities and your talents and to come out of the pack as someone who can either potentially be nominated for a leadership role or be asked to serve in other capacities. Um, so I think having the courage first to go to these meetings and um, make it a priority to get there, um, even though that can be a challenge, um, and then once there, to find that subgroup of people um, that share your interests. And then step three is to sign up for some work, 
within that um, within that setting. It may take you a meeting or two to figure out where you belong, and that's fair game too, to try to find your subgroup um, uh, of interest. But then I think that that a key is to offer a bit of yourself. Thank you, Andy. That was great and a great lead into the next question we have for you. Um, wh what do you think junior faculty need to be doing now to start building their networks? Well, I've said this, but I do think that prioritizing attendance at an important national meeting at least one a year is something that every junior faculty person has to do. I think that um, the department's working hard to make it more possible for there to be funds to go to these meetings, um, that section chiefs are in a position to prioritize this for junior faculty and should be doing that. Um, and then I think asking and getting advice about which meetings are best to attend once identifying what that meeting is, getting good advice from senior faculty um, about whom to meet once there, what activities are most fruitful there, how to get involved in those smaller subgroups of activity that lead to the kind of recognition that we're talking about. Because what one wants um, is to be able to go to these meetings and see again those people with whom we connected at the past meetings. And that's where new ideas get spawned, where new responsibilities are offered. Um, but it takes a little bit of help sometimes from someone more senior to navigate those tasks. So I'd like to encourage junior faculty to ask specifically for that help in that and saying to their section chief, I'm going to go to my first PAS meeting, give me some advice about how best to navigate it. Who should I not miss the opportunity to meet? Where, you know, what are the task forces or other special interest groups that you think based on what I'm interested in I might best benefit from attending? Um, and arm yourself with a little bit of preparation so you don't get overwhelmed once you get there and see the wide array of opportunities to spend your time. And I think that's really helpful because I think as, you know, when, as junior faculty, we go to one or two conferences a year, but then it's really trying to figure out how to make the most of those couple of days because when you get there and you look at the itinerary, you can get very overwhelming which one to choose and what to do and who's going to be where to sort of make that connection. Absolutely. What... Um, national committees besides SBR Cliff, um, have you been involved with um, that has been sort of something that you're, that you'd recommend people belong to or sort of look at what would be specific to their interest as well? Yeah, so um, there have been a couple of other uh, groups I've been involved with. I did spend some time uh, serving on review committees for the American Heart Association, and that was really, um, you know, somebody who knew my area of research recommended me for being on one of the committees and then served as a co-chair uh, for one of those review committees. I've done the same thing with the, with the Hood Foundation on their scientific review committee. So some of it comes just from people knowing your area of expertise in, in uh, research or education and then recommending you for it. Um, another one that uh, I've spent a fair amount of time in that grew out of my SPR uh, initial um, involvement was the American Academy of Pediatrics Committee on Pediatric Research. So uh, the SPR and, and several other organizations have liaisons to that committee. So they, those liaisons basically represent the SPR on the American Academy to the American Academy of Pediatrics, and that committee on one of their many committees, the Committee on Pediatric Research, makes recommendations to the board of directors on uh, relate on issues related to pediatric research to for the AAP to speak out on or to act upon. Um, and I started out as a liaison member 
which is a you know you're appointed by your your society, uh, and then I was replaced, went off, and then I subsequently applied to be a regular member through the AAP because I was a member of the AAP, and got selected to be, you know selected to be a member, and then eventually I'm now the chair of that committee. So that was another opportunity to get involved in a completely different group, still kind of in the area of pediatric research, um, but I've learned a lot more about. Uh, Advocacy. I've done hill visits with them. Uh, I've learned about uh, you know larger opportunities um, to advocate for uh, child health research. Through that, I've been on uh, one NIH panel, uh, and I'm now on one NIH advisory committee because of my position on that committee. So, again, I think it's it's an example of one thing leading to another, and if you're willing to sort of take that step forward. Um, and, and if you want to get involved, and that's important, you know, put yourself out. Um, and, you know, but there's plenty of other uh, opportunities, too. Um, I think the uh, Academic Pediatric Association has tremendous opportunities, tons of ways for people to get involved. And I would certainly put that forward uh, as a very strong group uh, for people that f- are members of that organization to, uh, to put themselves out and join. Great couple things to add. I think that, you know, that in my experience, sometimes the smaller groups are really great. So if you have the luxury of already being a part of a smaller group of subspecialists, like I'm lucky in a way that I'm one of a small group of child abuse pediatricians in the country. And so that meeting ends up being, by definition, an easy networking opportunity because it's relatively small. So if you can find your subgroup, whether it's based on your clinical interest or your research interest, I think that narrowing of focus, once you can do it, is helpful to find a smaller peer group. It may not be possible when you're at the beginning of your career because you're not quite sure where your niche is going to be, but that's a goal to, to strive toward. I think the educational meetings are another really important opportunity, um, and things like the um, Association of Pediatric Program Directors, or APPD, and COMCEP, which is the version for the medical student education in pediatrics. The AAMC has a really robust national meeting as well as regional meetings, and each of these has regional meetings as well. Um, so those are often um, really nice platforms for those faculty, and there are a lot of junior faculty who are interested in medical education um, to think about sharing their work. And is that something that's for leadership within the residency and fellowships, or is that also um, as a faculty who's interested in education in general? Well, in order to, I mean, I think you need to be attached to a member of APPD, for example, but there are many members of APPD in our in our department because every fellowship director, you know, the residency program leadership, there are a lot of people with whom you can connect in order to submit to those meetings. Um, And trainee abstracts are also um, always accepted by those meetings. So if you're mentoring a trainee in research, it's another way in to submit um, for peer review and possible presentation. And of course, being me, I would be delighted if you were in fact partnering with a trainee on any of the work you're doing, whether educational or, or research. So it's another nice, uh, smaller platform for those doing educational work um, to submit. And I don't think that the AAMC has any um, expectation of membership in order to be able to submit abstracts. Okay. I just I wanted to ask a follow-up question because sometimes it's, it's some all of these opportunities sound great but can feel a little overwhelming as a junior faculty. How do you make time and know which ones to prioritize? I guess, what, was, what were your experiences? Um, gosh, you know, uh, I, 
could talk to other people, uh, you know, that I knew in the organization and, you know, find out. But some of it was just just going up and saying, you know, to somebody I knew that was on the council or in the leadership saying, I'd love to volunteer. What are the opportunities? And just taking whatever came. Uh, you know, you're going to you're going to find some things that are usually they can tell you ahead of time how much time it takes and, and things like that. Um, and so you can sort of figure out, is that is it worth it for you to do that? Um, but, um, you know, I think it's and, and there are senior faculty that can kind of guide you. I mean, I you know, I'm I would certainly I would be happy to and anybody if there's an organization I know to sort of say, yeah, that that's probably worth it or I wouldn't I wouldn't bother with that. So it's a combination. Some of it's just trying it. And if it fits great and if it doesn't, you know, you can always you know, say, you know what, I need to step away. Um, and then there's also usually senior faculty that can uh, that can focus you. I think the important thing is to not overextend yourself. Uh, and so you want, I think the best thing is to figure out what's your focus and then make sure that everything you do fits that focus. So for me, I had a focused research career, so a lot of my focus was on advocating and pushing forward child health research and development of physician scientists. So all the things that I was trying to do fit that general theme so that they were all kind of coming together for that same goal. It can be hard. And you can get different advice from different people because there's some things that I think are very valuable that someone might say, oh, don't, you know, don't review abstracts for the PAS. Like, that's a time suck. I tend to disagree. I mean, I think there's a way of saying yes, but also setting a limit, like asking very specifically, like, what is going to be the expectation of me if I say yes to this? Like, am I going to review 20 abstracts or 100 abstracts makes a big difference. Um, So I think it's fair to get some more information before taking on any responsibilities at that level. Um, But And I do think asking around, like, is this a good idea? I might not just ask one person. I mean, there are things that have the reputation, and this isn't about national meeting attendance, but things like joining the admissions committee at the medical school that people will tell you is a crazy thing to do. And yet, having done that as a junior faculty member, I feel like I met several people um, who subsequently offered me opportunities in teaching that I'm not sure would have materialized had I not been willing to give a few hours of my time a week during the application season in order to do it. I think you just have to know what you're getting yourself into and also ask yourself if it's something that you'll find to be a chore or that you'll enjoy. Because as much as I know that that no one gets promoted because they serve on the admission committee necessarily, even though it's a good move to make from citizenship, if it was something that I found fun to do. It, was, it didn't kill me. It wasn't that much work that it took so much of my time that it was really stupid. Um, and I'm convinced that I made connections that were valuable. And I think this kind of meeting volunteerism is the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Ideally, it's something that you like doing. It's not overwhelming in its responsibility. Um, and you won't overdo it. You know, there's a point at which you'd start saying no if it wasn't bringing in returns. Um, but I think this is how people get to know you and why it's so valuable. And I just add, um, it's also it can be very satisfying personally, not just professionally. I have to say, some of my you know best sort of professional friends I've made through doing work on these committees. And you know, for an example, I have I have I'm lucky enough to be on this International Pediatric Research Foundation that has a meeting in Europe every year. So we're meeting in Venice. <laughs> we're meeting in Venice coming up, and you know. Two of the other people who I've gotten to know very well, one who's 
the chair of pediatrics at Northwestern, one who is the head of the Research Institute at Mount Sinai, we're all going to travel together in Tuscany for five days before the meeting. And so I never would have met these people, and I never would have had this opportunity to, to see old friends and, you know, get a perspective and get to know their spouses and have fun with them. So more, more than just professionally, it's just a lot of fun, and it broadens your horizons. That's, Great example. That's, that's <laughs> any any room in for junior faculty in, uh, <laughs> at that meeting? I mean, I guess the, the, going along with sort of what you know, Annie was saying about the admissions committee in terms of you know, there's a lot we're talking a lot about national committees and getting involved with that, which I think we all realize is an important part of not only our professional development but also to be have fun and sort mm -hmm. of mingle with people that aren't part of our daily life. Mm -hmm. How in how did you get involved with the admissions committee? How are there things? How can junior faculty, when they start here, could they sort of figure out how to network within to see what opportunities there are, sort of to meet people not only within their section or the department, but even outside that? I think this has become more challenging actually in in our current um, incarnation of lots of satellite clinics uh, spread across the area, and I think that junior faculty spend. Um, on balance less time on campus, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So they need to make the most of their opportunities. And I would encourage people to ask those, um, the leaders that they have, and that includes Cliff himself, um, as well as people like section chiefs and other senior faculty, specifically what are those opportunities? I mean, we're, I think that the orientation for new faculty has gotten significantly more robust and we offer more direct guidance than I remember getting as a junior faculty member about opportunities for those kinds of things. But I would encourage people to continuously ask those questions. What are the opportunities for me to get involved? Um, what it probably will lead to is Cliff or someone, another leader like him, thinking, oh, I actually need someone to serve on this committee or that committee. Um, and you will be asked to do those things, but you kind of have to put yourself in the way of them. And I think even just asking for a bit of a roadmap or what are the ways that someone can get involved. So I answer that question for people who are interested in medical education pretty often. And I tend to recommend there are certain courses that are not a ton of time that always need people in the medical school, like there's a physical exam course that gets taught every year, there's an interviewing course, where you can literally give a handful of hours of your time, but definitely meet people um, from across this medical school and sometimes farther. I think one of the benefits of being in this in our department is that we sit in this great medical school with all these other wonderful departments and I've met people who have come back in exciting ways in my life um, from other departments even beyond pediatrics. So those are the kind of things I encourage people to ask about and to say yes to. I think that's, that's very important. Thank you for bringing that up, Andy. Sometimes it feels like we're in a silo within our own department, but pushing yourself outside of that, even within your own institution as junior faculty, is an important step. Um, switching gears a little bit, Andy, this is for you. Uh, regarding challenges that, that you think junior faculty may face when trying to establish a network for themselves, what, what do you see as some of the challenges and what advice do you have for junior faculty? Well, I mentioned an important one, which is I think that people are not always here on campus, and I think that the... Um, the, the diaspora, as I like to call it, of our clinical, uh, you know, our clinical enterprise and having people off campus is something that people need to strategize about how to counterbalance. Um, I think many junior faculty are also balancing um, a time in their lives when they're parenting um, small children and that things that we're encouraging in this discussion, like attending national meetings that may be some distance away, 
can be um, can feel really burdensome during those years and may place stress on childcare situations and partnerships at home and feel like the last thing in the world that someone wants to take on, even though um, I'm going to encourage all of you in that situation to, to take it on nonetheless and to prioritize things like national meetings where I do feel like every opportunity is amplified in a way that happens when that meeting comes around once a year. Um, I think that those are, um, that's not something that everybody's facing, but that I know a lot of people are facing at that, because that time of life tends to coincide with um, starting new families and that sort of thing. Um, and then I know for some people, just personality and not being terribly extroverted or social when listening to a conversation like this can sound like I, I can't do any of those things, like just walk into a room full of strangers and introduce myself and sign up for 10 committees is not who I am. So I think that, you know, for people who are more naturally introverted, um, sometimes that, that these tasks can feel especially burdensome. Uh, but I, I do think there are strategies to combat that as well. Do you feel like there are some challenges that are unique to women faculty when it comes to networking? Well, I think that we may be, and I don't speak for every woman, certainly, but I think that, culturally speaking, we may be that much less likely to raise our hands and sign up for things that sound challenging and think, like, oh, I couldn't do that, or maybe that's for someone else. And I'd, I'd love to encourage um, junior women faculty to really fight that inclination of thinking that they don't have something to offer, or that there's someone else who could be doing it. Um, because standing up and volunteering, I think the enemy of that is sort of an imposter syndrome of thinking like, oh, I couldn't possibly. Um, I've pushed myself to do things that I thought were really hard to do um, and been pretty pleasantly surprised that I was able to deliver, even though I doubted at the time that I could actually do it. Cliff made this point early on, but you know, hard work and the ability to deliver Anyone who's here and listening to this has already done that on countless occasions, and I have confidence could do it again. So the next step is just having courage um, to, to say yes and, and ask for a place at the table, which I think sometimes for us can be a particular struggle. I think along the, that same line is, a, you know, as a new faculty member coming to Yale, what would you say should be their game plan over the first, say, three, four months that they're here to sort of get their feet wet, but also sort of sort of stretch out a little bit to sort of get to know more of the opportunities that they have here? Well, I would say that the first place to start is with the section chief of your own section and, you know, really sit down and talk with them about, you know, what are the op what opportunities might they take advantage of, um, can talk about in general what their interests are so that um, that uh, chief hopefully knows uh, a bit about the institution and can uh, suggest some people that they may talk to, some ideas. Um, I think they could, I think networking with other junior faculty is very helpful because those people, especially ones that are a few years ahead uh, and the group that you guys have, the, one of the great things is that people can learn from each other and, and I think that's, that's a very important aspect. So it's really getting a lay of the land uh, I, I find that m the biggest struggle people have is actually figuring out what it is they want to focus on. Uh, and so it's hard to know who you should go talk to and what you should do until you figure that out. And that may take some time. I mean, I, I think, and, you, and it may change. 
Um, but I think uh, it's important for first people to think, how do I, what excites me? What, what do I want to do? What, what in education, what in research, what in clinical care, quality and safety, whatever it is, um, take some time to figure that out. Um, and, and then you can begin to focus. And, and, I, and what I see, um, one, of the big, one of the bigger um, uh, difficulties that people have in moving along the promotion path is if they haven't sufficiently narrowed their focus that they really gain some depth in an area or two that they can really show some promise. And, and you know, my biggest advice to people uh, uh, related to this or anywhere is it's, it's better to be, uh, you know, a little bit narrower and deeper than it is wide and shallow because um, uh, promotions committees want to see people that are really making an impact and seeing a, a, a track record in a specific area or areas rather than sort of things all over the map. I was wondering, Cliff, can you talk a little bit about the mentoring program that you helped establish within our department? Yeah, so um, as, as Andy was saying, things are much more structured. Uh, having been a, fac- a junior faculty member here 28 years ago or 25 years ago, uh, there was no structure. Uh, you just sort of were expected to, um, you know, figure it out. Um, and, you know, we realized that uh, it was harder and harder for people to uh, make sure they had a connection. And I think it's in, we felt in the department it's important to have a structured program where there are senior faculty available uh, on a one-on-one basis to a new faculty, junior faculty member, to meet with them, to give them advice, to point them in the right direction, to be uh, another uh, person to talk to that wasn't just their section chief. Section chiefs can be great mentors, but sometimes you need somebody else. Most times you need somebody else uh, who can... Uh, who has a different kind of relationship with you uh, that can give you advice. And so we now uh, bring people in. We figure out sort of some of their areas of interest. We have um, senior faculty who have volunteered to mentor junior faculty. And we, um, you know, hook, put them together, have them meet, and expect them to meet a few times over the first year, have some structured meetings, talk about specific goals, and it's really an opportunity for the for the junior faculty member to get some one-on-one time with a senior faculty member who's really kind of focused on on them and what they're doing. And sometimes, after a year or two, you find out your direction has taken you that there's another mentor that would be better. But we want everyone to start out uh, making sure that there's a senior faculty member who can sort of help guide them along the way and make other connections too. And make connections. You know, I, I, I'm always happy when people find me and just say, I feel like in the in the re- last few years, there've been people who just had a general interest in medical education and just emailed me and said, can I come and talk to you? And those conversations really lead to things because I think about those people later on. You know, when we need a new person for the clinical competency committee or something like that, I, those are the names that pop into my head mm-hmm. to ask and say, would you like to join, you know, some faculty who are evaluating our residents or... I, I just it allows us, I think, as more senior faculty to make those kinds of connections for you. So well, I love being a mentor in the program. I keep adopting more mentees, but um, I feel like I'm at my best, honestly, when I tell them about someone else in the department that maybe they didn't know about, that they you know express an interest in something, and I say, oh, well, you really need to talk to Anthony because this is something that he's particularly interested in. Um, let me make that connection for you. 
Um, so I think it just adds to those people who know you well and who can hear as your interests and passions develop who best to introduce you to or set you up, connect you with, um, to get even more advice from someone who's in the know. Um, and it's, it's particularly important, as you mentioned, in an era where we have satellite clinics and people are off-site, you know, we just don't have the luxury of everyone being around the, co the same coffee pot in the morning and chatting. So we have to find different ways to make those connections and allow people to um, find their way with help uh, in a different way. So I was going to say when you asked about advice for, for new faculty or junior faculty, I think when you have that protected time, your academic time, especially in the first few months of being here, I would ask for advice, and I'd ask Cliff this question, I'd ask the sec your section chief this question, who are the people that I should try to meet with over the next few months? Um, given what you know about me and my interests, who would you suggest that I ask for a little time from? Um, and depending on what your interests are, make sure over those first few months that you make those meetings and prioritize them. Um, because I think just those connections lead to more connections. There's no other way to say it. Um, and it do you do have to work a little harder when you're not going to be sitting next to someone in the cafeteria that doesn't mm -hmm. exist for us really and, right. you know there's not like a water yes, cooler so. anymore in the same way so it has to be fostered um, but I do think for these the, for people who ask that question it will also force your leaders to think a little bit about you and about what will benefit you um, and they will help you but you sometimes have to ask for it sure. pretty specifically I think one of my favorite parts of the mentoring program is just that your mentor doesn't have to be from within your section. So right. it really forces yeah. you to meet people outside of your section. No, particularly. I mean, as I'm a gastroenterologist, and my men my mentor is in neonatology, right? And those are we don't really otherwise wouldn't have had these conversations that have been very very helpful. Mm -hmm. I think also people maybe are hesitant to ask some of those hard questions, like about balancing family responsibilities, or maybe even some anxiety about stepping forward to take a vote, like, am I good enough to, to put my name in the hat to chair the national meeting? Um, and I would just encourage people to ask those questions. I think it's rare for senior faculty to feel offended that those kinds of questions are asked. I think that we've all lived through those times, and um, I would encourage junior faculty to take advantage of their mentors. Those who sign up to do this really expect to be asked about those kinds of things. Um, so I wouldn't feel weird about it if that makes sense. Like, how did you manage this when you had little kids? Or is it really that important to do this? Or which of these two things is more important for me to do because I can't do both? Um, and get that kind of direct advice. Well, thank you both for this interesting discussion. But before we finish, uh, we wanted to ask each of you to, to tell us one important point that you think the listeners should take away from this session. And Cliff, maybe we can start with you. Uh, I think it's sort of what I what I started with, and that is, um, don't be afraid to put yourself out and volunteer. Um, you never know what's going to happen, and I, for me, it's just opened up a whole world of opportunity, uh, just from sort of saying, "Hey, I want to get involved." Um, so, I would encourage people to to make that step, try things. You know, nothing's forever if it doesn't work, um, but you'll find yourself. Uh, having many more opportunities that you never know where they'll lead. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to echo it a bit and say that every junior faculty person should be thinking about at least one committee that they should be serving on at any given time, whether it's a departmental or a medical school or hospital committee, and make sure that if you're not, you're asking for advice about which one would be a good one for you, because I think that's an important way in. 
um, to meeting people. I think you should pick a national meeting each year, find out where it is, put it on your calendar, try to actually organize yourself to potentially have something to submit for that meeting, which is a great goal to have, to think about an abstract that you could be submitting. And once there, try not to leave without having taken on some role, even if it's as small as just signing up to be part of a special interest group or task force in an area that interests you. And if you push yourself a little bit more um, to join a committee and take on some specific responsibilities. Great. Well, thank you so much to both Cliff and Andy. And uh, thank you, for everyone, for listening to our podcast on networking and making the most out of national conferences. Thanks for having me.